Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Play to pod. joining us from you lovely listeners this is dr ruth glenowen ceo and founder of the blue sky autism project and creator of play to talk warmly welcoming you to our very first play to pod podcast play to pod is an opportunity for us to share with you some amazing stories from our past and present families about their journey from the early concerns they had about their child through the diagnosis and then the successes and struggles they've experienced along the way You will also be hearing from some fabulous expert guests who work in the field of early intervention from all across the world. Play to pod. In our first episode, you'll be hearing from a Blue Sky hero of ours, our longest serving trustee and treasurer and all round superstar, whose daughter Katie is one of our oldest current clients. We've known Gillian and Katie for almost eight years now and have had the absolute privilege of seeing Katie blossom and grow into a very chatty, happy, almost teenager. In this interview, Gillian shares her journey from her very first worries, the challenges she had getting the professionals to listen and the progress Katie made when she found the right intervention. It's a story of hope and happiness with some bumps along the way and we are truly honoured to be able to share this with you. Thank you for coming on our first ever Play to Pod podcast episode, Thank Gillian. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're really excited about this. It's going to be great and it's just going to be nice to be able to share stories with um, everyone out there. Um, about all the all the good stuff that happens because quite a lot of the time with autism and and other developmental delays people see that as quite a kind of negative um and I think we are really all about the positives and I know there's bumps bumps in the road along the way but it's nice to be able to share stories of hope I think that's one of our biggest um kind of aims with this so if you want to give me a little bit of background on Katie um Katie's 11 now isn't she yeah she's 11 makes me feel primary seven she's going to high school (gasps) this year (laughs) makes me feel so old my goodness me do you remember when she first came to us and she was tiny tiny little thing and I think the first group session we ever had you came to pick her up and she was in the corner in tears (laughs) because we'd had to take the birthday cake away because I don't think we could have like listened to the 47th time of happy birthday (laughs) and you know the aim was to try and get her to you know play with the other kids and stuff so um I, but I just felt so terrible for you because you just looked so heartbroken oh and she was crying and I was just like ah no first time I think that the first, first time two or three sessions it was all just about getting past Katie's kind of she was putting barriers up because she didn't want to be pushed out her comfort zone it was like she was going to the toilet and singing in the toilets and she would kind of <laughs> she was asleep during sessions anything that didn't push her out of her comfort zone and then once she got past that it was like yay she just wanted to come and play with the happy land people 
Oh, the Happy Land people, yeah. She used to play with them in a tent, though, didn't she? And she didn't used to want to let me in the tent. Yeah, it was no, nice but, tent. And it was like recorded memory. She knew every single Happy Land. And if somebody had put one behind a radiator or one had went missing, it was like, fun <laughs> the Happy Land people. Oh, well, she put one down the um, back of the wall, didn't she? And I think that is still in there. We had a hole in, <laughs> the, hole in the wall. We've got a Happy Land person that's now a minor. <laughs> I think there's probably more than one Happy Land person in there. It was a Christmas party that we had years ago. She must have probably been about four. And we had that door um, handle that used to go through the wall every time someone opened it before we put a was it Rebecca's little brother who'd got a present from Santa and her and Rebecca thought it was fine to put all his stuff through the gap in the yeah, wall? <laughs> yeah, she put, she put that in there and the Happy Land people. So, I, they did so, put their Christmas toy down the hole in the wall, not the put our little no. brothers. Yeah, and I think someone else's as well, but I don't know if they ever found out about that. Um, so when did you start first start having concerns about Katie's development? Um, I think Katie was about three when we first started to notice, and it was... She had this silky in her dummy and she was overly attached to them. This it was like a square of silk material, it was like a patch of my old jammies that she'd a square <laughs> cut out of that she just loved the texture. And she was overly attached to it and she took it everywhere. And she got to three and we thought, right, maybe we need to get her off the dummy. And that was when we started to notice that um she would she started when we took the dummy away, she started skipping back and forward. Um, she developed just strange behaviour. She was humming while she skipped back and forward, retraced her steps, and that just looked odd. It was a bit off. That was the first kind of sign that this isn't quite right. And and then our, our play at nursery stalled at parallel play. She never quite got to the peer play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think her sleep was always disrupted. Katie was never a great sleeper. So it, it was just lots of little things. Our communication, just our peers seemed to be far in front of where she was stalled and she wasn't pushing forward Um, but it it was really the the humming and the skipping back and forward it it was like stimming she just enjoyed it she was in her own wee world happy as Larry and just enjoyed drifting away and skipping back and forward Um, and that was the first that was as we thought right there's something here we need to look into this and that was at that point I thought I think this is autism but when you when you googled autism when you looked up what autism was it was so much more than what we were seeing. So I thought maybe we're wrong. I don't I don't know if but that was the first when she was about three, that was the first kind of right, there's something here. And we booked an appointment and went to see the GP. I remember going to see him, me, Katie and Gary, and Katie sat on my knee and she had her iPad and she was just playing her iPad. And we were in for about four minutes. We went in and we were like, right, this is it. Oh, how are we going to cope with this? And the GP looked at Katie and said hello and she said hello back to him. And then he spoke to us for a few minutes and then he said to Katie, can I have your iPad, please? And she gave it to him. And he said, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. This child does not have autism. Don't worry about it. Off you go. Go away. She's absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. And we left totally elated. And then like two days later, I thought, that man's an idiot. He got it totally wrong. <laughs> he, he looked at her for four minutes playing an iPad and made this like wild assertion that he knew and we were wrong. And, and I thought, no, it, we went from being totally elated thinking, oh, it's fine to crashed down to earth and thought, do you know what? No, we need help. Mm-hmm. After the GP thought, right, we'd asked him to make a referral to a community paediatrician and he said, no, yeah, absolutely no reason why we need to do that. She's absolutely fine. So we left there and thought, right, what, what do we do now? So we phoned the community nurse. She had been like the community midwife and had progressed to the community nurse because she was three now. So she came out to the house and she was there for about 20 minutes. She was talking to us and she said, yeah, there's some red flags for autism here. Katie was lining up her toys instead of playing with them. 
um, and there was no joint shared attention and mm -hmm. she wouldn't make eye contact. So the community nurse at that point was like, yep, I see a couple of red flags. I'm going to refer you to the community paediatrician. And we were like, all right, okay, we're moving forward. We're going to get, and she said, right, so the community paediatrician, you'll have a six months wait to see her. And so, right. oh. so we waited and we waited and we waited. And then after the six months, we got an appointment and we went to see the community paediatrician and she observed Katie for 10 minutes took some notes and then said, we'll see you in another six months, we'll all observe some more. And at that point it was like, right, the NHS aren't riding in on a white horse to save the day, we can't mm -hmm. wait about, um, what do we do? So at that point it was like, I think I went into crazy parent mode and I read every <laughs> book and I was on the internet 24 seven and I was just desperate for like the answer, the cure, the, the silver bullet that was going to fix mm -hmm. this. And I think it took a long time to realize that it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And there's not one, special thing you can do that will quickly fix the problem and the more and more we looked everything there's so much rubbish so much scary stuff out there and then it kind of wading through it it got to the point where it was like that you need to be cautious and look for facts look for evidence look for scientific research don't just go with the market and the bump and the, the parental guidance that tells you to go to all these crazy scary things and at that point everything was point to early intervention it was the only thing that had tried and tested evidence, scientific backed up evidence. And, and I think that all the models were American. And in America, mm. it was like they were um, a decades ahead of us. They had it all set up through universities and colleges and programmed with 20 hours a week. And, and it, was, it was almost like a given. As soon as you went onto that bandwagon in America, you were on that path. And I thought, right, that's what we need here. How do we get that in Britain? And we looked and we looked and we looked and there was nothing. And I remember going back to the community the paediatrician and saying to her I want early intervention how do I get early intervention mm -hmm. and she looked at me blankly and she said they do it in a hospital in Glasgow but there's about a three-year waiting list and <laughs> the resources are so limited that once you get it you'll get an hour a week for six week session so how good is that these people are getting 20 hours a week for three years what good is in three <laughs> years time she might get six hours over six weeks and then I think it was one night sitting on the internet googling to one in the morning which was common practice for me at that point in time and I remember coming across Spear Glan that was blue skies before that was what they were called and I remember thinking what is this website I'd never heard of the words before <laughs> I didn't know what it meant and it was like light bulb moment all of a sudden there's a place in the UK that does this it's got this program they've done early intervention and I remember like almost crying filling in the parental referral form on the website and thinking will they come back to me will there be a waiting list can I afford it is, is this private therapy and am I going to re-mortgage the house and and I remember <laughs> I think it took two days for a response to come back through blue skies and in that time I had been looking at bank loans and credit cards and mortgages and asked my parents and asked Gary's flights parents. to America <laughs> everybody was like yeah uh, you know whatever it costs whatever it takes this is what they, this is what she's she's her only child it's like whatever whatever it takes that is what we're going to do and I remember coming through to Bridge Island and meeting with you and we came into the room and me and Gary sat in the corner on kid-sized beanbags and, yeah. and, and you sat in a, a wee kid's chair beside Katie and it was like instant, instant. It was, you got down to her level and you connected with her and you got her attention and you engaged and it was like nobody had done that in the last 18 months of meeting with professionals and asking for help and going back and forward to hospital. Nobody had got to her level and spoke to her. They'd all ignored her mm -hmm. and spoke to us. And I remember thinking, I need this. I need, this is where we need to be. This, like, this is what we need. And all the way through the session, I kept saying, so, so what is the cost? And you kept saying, oh, this, don't worry about that. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is what we need to do. And it's going to be extortionate. And I can't afford it. And I was terrified 
that we weren't going to be able to afford what, what we knew it was right in front of us and we needed it. And then at the end of the session, I remember when you, you talked about the hourly rate and I think we paid more for Katie's gymnastics at that point in time than mm-hmm. what it cost for Blue Skies. And she hated gymnastics and she didn't engage me <laughs> in the at it and she couldn't do gymnastics, but we just kept sending her every week because we thought she needs to socialise with kids her own age. And I thought I remember me and Gary sat in the car and I was crying and I think it was just pure joy, like, we found where we need to be, this is what we need to do. That, it was it was a light bulb moment that do you know what? Nobody else was coming to save the day. We'd found this place and it was an amazing centre and it was going to offer the right therapy. And we knew we were in the right place because the fact that you engaged with Katie within a few minutes caught her attention, got to her level and got a response out of her. I think that's the problem with a lot of assessments with kind of more traditional professionals. They don't really talk to the child or they don't try and engage with the child. Whereas I'll be crawling around the floor. I've gone through millions of pairs of jeans on that carpet in Blue Sky. And I remember we left and we get to the <laughs> Gary were crying and we eventually calmed down and we looked around and Katie had stole a ball at the ball pool. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoyed it because she took a little part of the centre away. <laughs> and I think we probably had to frisk her for Happy Land people for years afterwards, didn't we? Um, so yeah, that was my next question: was how did you decide on intervention? And I guess it was a lot of research yourself, looking oh, it, at Google, it was weeks and weeks and weeks of just looking online and seeing that there was scientific research there, there was evidence, there was peer reviews. This was the thing that we needed, but there just wasn't any in the UK. That mm-hmm. there was nothing available. And it was terrifying to know that there was something there that could help, but we couldn't reach it. We couldn't get it. And I don't even know how Spear Gland came up on the, the Google search when I was doing it. I think I remember at the time thinking it was divine intervention. Like, oh, my God, that's it. Because like, <laughs> we didn't I, have the most Googleable name at the beginning when I set then, out. I didn't even know yeah. what it was. And I didn't know the correct words to put in. It was just autism and help and yeah. therapy. And, and I think I remember looking at the website and thinking, this is like the things in America. This is the program that that we need to have. Why why is there no more of this? And, and when I asked the pediatrician, she hadn't volunteered the information to me. But when I asked her about early intervention, yes, it's available. It's mm-hmm. not for you, and not in the next three years, and not in the level or the quantity that you need it. So so it was endorsed. They knew about it, but they just they didn't have the resources to be able yeah. to give it to us. So they couldn't they couldn't put it forward. And I think that's the problem in the UK and it's still the problem and it's 11 years on. I mean, it's eight years since yeah, we met you yeah, and 11 years, 11 years since we started a spear gland, which is Gallic for Blue Sky. And then we changed to Blue Sky because then people would actually know what people we... People didn't know what it was and couldn't spare it. <laughs> it was a really good idea when I first decided on the name all those years ago. But I think as time went on, um, but people remembered us because they didn't know what we meant yeah, and then they would not know how to say it. They didn't know how to spell it. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and we used to call that Gaelic service, not that any of us actually ever speak Gaelic, but um, I think that's the problem in the UK is that there is that knowledge that early intervention can really help and evidence-based early intervention, but there isn't the resources and there isn't the budget and the health services really struggle and it's nobody's fault, but they have a very much one-size-fits-all that doesn't really work for a lot of children with autism, especially little ones, especially when they're preschool, um, because it's very adult-directed. A lot of traditional speech therapy is very picture-based and very adult-directed, and the child has to learn to attend to the adult-chosen task before they can move forward with their speech therapy. Whereas we're like, what does that child like to do? Cool, they like to crash things on the floor. Let's make a game out of that and let's encourage communication yeah. through that. It's I not think, about attending to an adult when you're that age. I think a lot of it as well. When we went through the, the speech therapy side of things through the NHS, and that was great and it was a, a brilliant addition to early intervention, but it wasn't a substitute for it. Mm-hmm. And what they had done, I think, due to limited resources was, here is a parent training course go and do it yourself mm-hmm. but 
surely it's better to have somebody that's got a degree or a PhD or years of experience and knows how to apply the therapies. They yeah. can teach the parent to do it as an addition to the yeah. then session therapy, but it can't be the only thing. No, and I think it's too stressful and emotional for parents yeah. to be expected to, to be, be their child's the, only therapist. Correct, and let someone that isn't emotionally involved do it yeah. because. I think at first, especially for Katie, she fought against it the first couple of weeks because mm-hmm. she didn't want pushed out her comfort zone. She didn't want to engage because she was comfortable in the little bubble she'd created for herself. So like yeah. the, the going and visiting the toilet and sitting in there for 20 minutes singing or kidding mm-hmm. when she was asleep, just to, it was avoidance techniques because she didn't want to have to be pushed out her comfort zone. But once she had went through that, pushed past the wall, she loved it. She was desperate to come mm-hmm. back for more sessions because she realised that when you engage, it's good it was fun it was and you could see that it was almost like dominoes falling with Katie she once the first thing fell into place the next thing fell and it was like it got faster and faster and you moved the targets and moved the targets and and I remember at one point stopping and looking back and thinking look how far we've come you you focus Mm -hmm. so much on the next target and the next target and you were so target driven that sometimes just stopping and looking back and seeing the progress that we saw had made and it was amazing And just that whole idea about how the social can be fun and people can be fun, because sometimes children who have social communication difficulties, they're quite anxious about other people or they're just not particularly motivated to want to engage and play. Um, But I think what we do really well, and we have done for the last 11 years, is that we really do meet the child where they're at and we don't worry about where they should be or where they need to be next week or next month or next year. We're just looking at where they are now and looking at what they're interested in and making ourselves super fun, but also putting some demands in there so that there is some progress. And I think that's the difference between us and maybe some other more traditional therapy models that are used in the health services. There was no downside as far as we were concerned. When we found Blue Skies, Katie didn't have an autism diagnosis yet. She, she had many, many red flags and we knew, I knew in my heart that she had autism, but we weren't along the like two years of observing before the diagnosis bit. And at that point, I remember everything that we were looking at, it was like, right, look at the pros, look at the cons, weigh up, balance it, what's the benefits? There was no downside to, to play therapy, to, to early intervention. It was either Katie was going to an extra club and getting a little bit of support or Katie was getting this amazing therapy that was going to make a world of difference. There was no downside. There was no negative. There was nothing that held you back. It was, don't wait for a diagnosis. Just mm. this first couple of red flags, get in there and get some help. Because even if your child doesn't have autism, if your child just has some delays, it's it's got to make a world of difference. It's yeah. And that's fun. the thing I think about diagnosis is a lot of people are told to wait until their child has a diagnosis before they do anything. But that wait can be a no, really it takes long so time. long and you've missed the window yep. of opportunity by that point. Cause... And diagnosis doesn't define who that child is. It defines, no, it's maybe, a label. It explains, yeah, explains some of the difficulties and maybe why they might be experiencing those kind of difficulties in that particular way. But it doesn't define a child. And I think that's that's the problem a lot of the time with parents being told that at an early stage they need to wait until the child's been diagnosed this kind of therapy I mean our model play to talk is not something that is autism specific only it works with children who have other speech and language issues other developmental delays some children that just are late talkers um, and it's very individualized to that child and it's all about place it's all about having fun and as long as you're having so fun you're going to be learning autism as well There's so many different yep. degrees of autism and different levels and think that it can't be a one one therapy. One therapy. No. Yeah. So what were the fastest and biggest changes you saw in Katie when she first started intervention? Um, I think the relief of the frustration that she was facing. So 
Katie had a few words that she would use, but she didn't have any social communication. It was just to get her needs met. Um, and she was quite a frustrated wee, wee soul when she wanted to get her, her point across. She used a lot of echolalia and she mm -hmm. just repeated things. And if you asked her a question, she would just give you the last word of your question back. Um, and she was really frustrated because she couldn't communicate and you couldn't understand her version of communication. And so she was really frustrated. And the more frustrated she got, the more she would do the pacing and the humming. And so I think it was just seeing the frustration melt away and seeing the mm -hmm. happiness that she was, she got excited and she looked forward to going to the next session and she came out happy. And the more she was able to communicate, the less frustrated she was and the happier she got. And it, it was just, it built on you, everything built on the next mm -hmm. thing. And you just seen her, she she blossomed, she bloomed. You could see mm -hmm. that the speech developed, the communication skills developed, that the ability to engage developed. She started playing with her cousin. And yeah. that was lovely to see her. She actually realised she was there. It wasn't just play alongside her and ignore her. She actually engaged. They would sing songs together. Katie, singing was always easier than speech when she was younger. So mm -hmm. just singing along and engaging with her peers and singing and taking turns each for which line they were going to sing together. And it was just lovely to see her actually get that joy and get to play. And there's a lovely video of um, Katie and her cousin singing Let It Go from Frozen. <laughs> she loves to sing. She didn't have much skill, <laughs> but she no, loves she to do it. She's got a strong voice. I think that's the important part. We played that at a, a, we played that at a conference, didn't we? Do you remember? And it was kind of, I think I had the volume on too loud for that part of the video. And everyone was kind of like, oh, <laughs> that's amazing. But it's also very loud. <laughs> and it's the kind of song you can really give it loudly, can't you? It's um yeah, Katie definitely did. Um, so what's your journey been like for you since? And what's the journey been like since Katie kind of had that click and she started to make progress? And obviously she was really little at the beginning, and you've had primary school and you've had kind it, of it's, it's been a roller coaster. It really has been a lot of ups yep. and downs, but more steps forward than steps back, which is lovely. And it's you you get to a point where you know you realise that the things that stress you out, it's like you know what, it won't be like this forever. Yep. You're just going to have to get through this because there's usually a downturn follows uh, a developmental phase. So mm -hmm. where Katie's behaviour would go off the chart and the first couple of times it happened, I'd be like, oh my God, we're regressing, we're going backwards. And and then after it, a while, it became a pattern and you could see that actually, see when she gets really frustrated and really stimmy and her sleep's really disrupted, maybe a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, there would be a, a growth stage or a developmental stage that she wouldn't mm -hmm. pass. So you started to realise that those things weren't negatives they were that was leading on to something more positive but I think just the rapid progress that she made that seeing the targets moving forward further and further and further to the point mm -hmm. where Katie went from being in a wee world of her own totally secluded to enjoying group sessions at Blue Skies and having once somebody had been there to put the structure and the scaffolding in place to help her make a friend that that was like revolutionary yeah. for Katie like she's got a we pals from blue skies that are genuine friends and it's not about mm -hmm. the quantity of friends you have it's the quality and yep. one pal that gets you that understands you that, that just plays with you foot judging you that that's just amazing that that's that's one of the things that's the most important thing that i've seen katie get out of this is to be able to communicate and to have real friendship to have the support put in place right at the beginning that she could develop a real genuine friendship and I think being one of the few girls that we have at this age, I think there's probably definitely going to be a blue sky wedding at some point in time. She's going to have, she's going to have the, she's going to have pick of the bunch. <laughs> she's very good at, um, you know, going between different relationships, isn't she? Oh, oh yeah, she's got, she's got 
Yeah. Often and often the boyfriend doesn't know he's now become the friend and yeah, it's, it's very complex. <laughs> um so if you could give advice to a first time parent who was having concerns about their little one, what would be your top three tips? Um the first one I think would be stay calm and look for facts, get early intervention and don't go with all the crazy scenarios that are out there on the internet. Just go with the, the evidence-based research scientific ones. Get early intervention. So that would be the first thing. Uh, the second thing would be find parents that are on the same journey that you're on, somebody you can talk to, because mm-hmm. that was really, really important. Just go easy on yourself and don't stress yourself out too much and find somebody that knows what you're going through. I mean, I had lots and lots of friends, but none of them had children on the spectrum. So None of them got it. None of them understood what I was going through. And that was quite isolating. So <laughs> find a couple of parents that are on the same journey that you're on and just ask them. What, ideally, somebody a wee bit further ahead on the journey so you can say, what did you do? What worked? What helped? Yeah. What was rubbish? What should I ignore? Um, that, that's that's a biggie. That's important. Find a parent that's on the same journey. Um, and really just like, don't take no for an answer. Just push and push and push because nobody's coming and giving you all the support and all the help and everything that you need unless you go out there and look for it. So don't sit back and wait for the the local authority or the NHS to come riding in on a white horse. They, they mm. don't have the resources, they're not coming. So you have to get out there, knock on doors and demand the help. Don't don't take no for an answer. And I think that's the problem, isn't it, a little bit with a lot of the families that we see across the years and we have seen across the years is that sometimes people are just told they can wait it out and something will happen yeah, and, um, and you should trust the the, the 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 people that work there want to help they really do yeah they just don't have the resources they don't have the ability to help every kid in that situation and and I know it's selfish but I was only interested in my kid so yeah I have to get out there and push forward and don't take no for an answer that's that's the biggest thing that I learned don't be scared to upset people just push forward and <laughs> yeah we won't talk about the uh, the incident <laughs> with the pediatrician <laughs> that you made cry <laughs> and that's the thing I think a lot of families we work with look back on things that have happened along the journey and, and think well who who was that person because oh. actually they become quite militant and well, that's see, see exactly right because you have someone, to be someone treating me that way I would accept it and I would put up with it and I would be mm-hmm. polite and I would smile but someone treating Katie like how dare you mistreat my daughter? How dare you not give her what she needs? You think it was almost like the other lioness came out. And sometimes I would look back and think, oh my God, I'm embarrassed I've done that. And then think, do you know what? I'd do the same again and again. It's only the gatey. Yeah. But if it was but in a restaurant and you got a really, yeah, a really rubbish meal, you'd just be like, yeah, that was lovely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Leave a nice tip. Smile. <laughs> off you go. Yeah. Very British. Um, so what are your hopes for the future for Katie? Because you're just about to start the secondary journey, which is really yeah, scary. And, so- and for me, as a professional, having worked with you for such a long time, it makes me feel very old to think she's going to secondary school. Um, so what are your kind of big hopes for Katie for the future? I, do, I think just I want her to get the right support in secondary school so that she can learn. She's so keen to learn. Katie's a people pleaser. She wants everybody to be happy and she wants everybody to be proud of her. So really just manage her anxiety, keep her supported and keep her happy. She's a happy wee soul. She just takes everything in her stride. Nothing phases Katie. So just keeping her happy. And Katie's goal in life is to be a pop star during the day and have her own restaurant at night. So hopefully that'll be where we head. (laughs) I can absolutely see her doing that though. I really can. (laughs) She's watched too much of like the, is it the Frog Princess? She wants to be Tiana. She wants to be a singer during the day and have a restaurant at night. <laughs> wow. What kind of restaurant? Chips? Pizza? 
Of chips, it would have to be chips. Chips, yep. chips, chips, and more chips. <laughs> but that sounds like an amazing aim for the future for Katie. And I think, you know, having heard her sing over the years and, and her Lady Gaga is just, you know, uncanny, <laughs> isn't it? I love that. I love karaoke bar because she's like karaoke queen. <laughs> well, she could do all of those things. She could be a famous pop star <laughs> with a restaurant and a karaoke bar. Um, but th- thanks so much for talking to us, Julie. And that was absolutely Thank amazing. You. And it was chat back and think about all these things all that I know thing. it's nice to nice to reflect and kind of thinking from my perspective thinking about Katie when she first came in and kind of where she is now I mean it's it's pretty outstanding isn't it from our point of view I just I have so much respect for you guys and what you do because without your service and blue skies that it's scary to think where Katie would be she would be a different wee girl she would still mm. be in her own wee world happy but in her own wee world in her own wee bubble totally isolated totally alone, unengaged, disengaged, and just happily plodding through a smile on her face quietly, causing no trouble, but being totally overlooked. And yeah. She's happy. She asks for help. She has conversations. She's got social skills. She's got friends. All the things you want for your child, Katie's got now, and only only has them because of the service that you guys provide. Thank you. And I think that's the big thing about what we do is it's not that common in the UK for a service like ours at the moment. And it should be. And there are people out there in other places in the UK doing amazing things. Um, We're not the only people, but there should just be like thousands and thousands of services like ours. On on the internet, it's all about America. And even most of Europe have got services and provisions in place now. And I think, I don't know why the UK is still so intent on observe and diagnose and slap a label on, but don't actually engage to help I, I don't know mm. why we went down the let's fix the problem why we're let's identify the problem and let's label the problem but not actually fix the problem and I think it's glass ceilings as well isn't it a lot of the the kiddos that we're working with they're getting written off quite early and yeah autism is a lifelong developmental condition but it doesn't mean that these kids can't do the things that... now to the girl the wee girl she was when she was that age and I remember when she started school, they gave her a placement. She was offered a placement in a unit, in a, an autism unit. And at the time, having spoke with you guys, and it was like, no, Katie could handle mainstream. She just needs support. She could cope with mainstream. And she loved mainstream school. She blossomed. She, she was surrounded by positive role models and things that didn't come natural to her. She could copy, model the behaviour around her, fit in. And, and it, it was just a world a new world that opened up to her because she was able to communicate she could join in that wee world and she could do those things rather than just be sidelined into the, the the kind of segregated to the side and almost written off and you think that that's just not fair that shouldn't happen to a kid no, no and I think every child has a potential that they can fulfill no matter what that is yeah. and they need to be given the support to be able support to do to that do it and achieve it and yeah. you know what they don't need to be the biggest academics in the world just a pal somebody that you can be friends with that you can engage mm-hmm. with that's that's give you joy and be happy that's the main thing thanks so much Dillian that was absolutely amazing and um and maybe we'll have a couple of minutes to hear from Katie yep. so plain mate I'll go grab her two seconds yeah hi Katie how are you thank you what have you been doing today I've been chilling and we made my crispy cakes and we went on a walk wow that's really cool yeah do you know what me and your mummy were talking about what we were talking about you, weren't we? Uh-huh. How cool and amazing you are. Uh-huh. And we were talking about how when you were really little, do you remember coming to see us when you were tiny, when you were about three, and used to play with all the Happy Land people? Uh-huh. Do you remember the bag of Happy Land people? Yeah, they were fun to play with. <laughs> do you remember how many we had? A lot. 
we had a lot, didn't we? And you used to want to play with all of them. And we used to say, just 10 today, Katie. <laughs> What's your favourite thing about going to Blue Sky? Oh, um, maybe doing, maybe going to see everyone. I know, that's not happening at the moment, is it? It's a bit of a shame. You get to see people on the screen, though, don't you? Uh-huh. And you're really good at doing those calls on your own now, aren't you? Uh-huh. Yeah, who do you see now? Imogen. Is she your favourite? Well, she is, she is nice. <laughs> she's not, she's not her favourite. <laughs> you don't have favourites, do you, Katie? No. No. Who's your favourite? <laughs> I don't have favourites. Oh, you don't have favourites, right? Okay. No, that's okay. We don't have favourites. Who's your best friend at Blue Sky, though? Sunny. I thought that was the case. Uh-huh. You've known him for a really long time, haven't you? Do you know how many years you've known him for? How many? I think probably about seven years, isn't it, Dillian? Wow, yeah, it must be. I think cool. it must be, yeah. That's real, isn't it? Uh-huh. And what are the favourite things that you and Sunny do together? Well... Oh, this one time I met him at the park. Yeah, remember he's done a documentary? Yeah, we did a documentary. And what do you want to do when you are a big grown-up? What do you want to do? Um, what do you want to be? I maybe want to be a singer. Mm-hmm. And, and we start, my, start a life with a family. Start a life with a family? Oh, that would be nice. Wow, are you going to get married? Well, I, well, when I grow up, I think I might. Who are you going to marry? I'm not sure yet, yet, but, yeah, but I still have a lot of years until I'm a full-grown adult. <laughs> Thank you so much to Gillian and Katie for making the very first Play to Pod episode so special. We hope you enjoyed their story. And there's lots more where that came from. We're going to have lots more interviews coming up in the next few episodes. If you feel that you may benefit from some kind of support from ourselves, you can find us on www.blueskyautism.com and at www.playtotalk.co.uk.